What is going on, everybody? You are listening to Markets Made Simple with Afik Tori. Today is going to be most probably the most actionable episode of this entire podcast because today we are going to be discussing ETFs or exchange traded funds. ETFs are a very, very popular tool, especially amongst retail investors when deciding on how to construct a portfolio so we better understand them. Last week, we also had a Fed interest rate decision that is extremely important as well. We're going to be discussing the general message that Jerome Powell sent out to the market because as we all know, current valuations are a function of expectations in the future. So let's get into it right now. So what is an ETF? An ETF essentially is a stock of a fund that another company manages. Let me break that down a little bit deeper. So in a previous episode, we discussed how a stock is basically a part ownership of something. It could be a part ownership of a company. Actually, you can also have stock in a real estate unit. So imagine you have a fund and the fund is comprised of a bunch of stocks. Actually, it could also be securities other than stocks. It could be bonds. It could be commodities. It could be real estate. It could be anything, actually. And if you hold an ETF, then you hold a stock of this fund. Now, why would you want to hold a stock of a fund? Let's say you're an investor and you would like to invest in a very specific sector. Let's take the space technology sector. That's a very popular sector that many people are talking about these days and it's getting a lot of buzz. So let's talk about that. You are an investor that wants to get yourself involved in the space tech industry. Now, you're not a space tech expert, but you do know that perhaps this industry will enjoy some future upside. Perhaps you think that demand will go up in the future and supply will be able to catch up. As investors, our job is to look for opportunities. We don't necessarily need to be experts in sectors which present an opportunity. We may not know which stocks are the best stocks to invest in order to go ahead and enjoy the same upside that we're thinking of in that same industry. So what we can do is we can buy an ETF of a fund or a stock of a fund, which focuses on space technology stocks. Now, who is going to issue these stocks? Who is going to go ahead and do the work for me, essentially? Well, there are specific ETF issuers, they're called, that go ahead and do this for a living. Their job is to gauge demand for a specific sector, industry, or even strategy, create a fund which will deploy that strategy to go ahead and reflect a sector or deploy a specific trading strategy. And then they will go ahead and sell stock of this fund so that anybody trading in the general market can go ahead and convey that same message as well. Now, it's not entirely the ETF issuer's objective to make money with these funds. What is the primary objective? The primary objective is to satisfy something called an index. An index is a very fancy word, also discussed in a previous episode. Index is a very fancy word for a list. If I have an index of inflation, essentially I have a list of items and I can go ahead and calculate their prices every time I want to detect how much inflation has been moving for month over month or year over year. And then I have an index. I have a list of things that I reference every single time. So the CPI, Consumer Price Index, is a list of items which has consensus deem it the most accurate proxy for inflation. And we use this list or index in order to assess 
how inflation has moved month over month or year over year. The S&P 500 is an index. The S&P 500 is an index which comprises of the top 500 companies in the United States in terms of market capitalization. So every index is a list which has a specific set of rules. An ETF issuer will firstly establish this index and the rules of which stocks need to satisfy in order to get onto this list. And then they will create a list of stocks. So going back to the space technology example, let's say we will create an index that comprises of the following. Space technology companies must be at least two years in the space technology. At least half of their revenue has to be brought in from space technology transactions or related transactions. Perhaps another standard could be that the stock has to be liquid to a certain point. Maybe a certain market capitalization the stock needs to have or the company needs to have in order for that stock or company to be listed on this index. Anything can be a standard. So as soon as the ETF issuer has completed fixing up this index or list, they will go ahead and create a fund and buy these stocks and then sell off stock of that same fund, which practically mimics ownership of all of the underlying stocks within the portfolio. Furthermore to that, an ETF issuer will also decide how much of the fund goes and concentrates on investing in a specific stock. Let's take another example. Let's say we are constructing an exchange-traded fund that is designed to focus on smartphone manufacturers. And we have Apple, Samsung, and maybe a few other random minor manufacturers. Because Apple is such a prominent smartphone manufacturer, the ETF issuer will put most of the fund towards Apple stock, simply because Apple satisfies this index standard very, very well. So perhaps Apple will receive 25% of the fund and other, you know, less known manufacturers will receive 5% or 7%, etc. All dependent on the ETF issuer's standards. So if you own a stock or an ETF of a fund, essentially that price of that ETF stock should perform just like the underlying stocks within that fund. That was a little bit of a mouthful, so let me give you a numerical example. Let's say you have 10 stocks in a fund, and each of them are priced at $1. So you have a fund that's net value is $10. And let's say this fund has 100 shares. So if you own one share, you own 1% of it. If you own one share of this fund, which in total is priced at $10, then you own 1% of $10, which essentially is 10 cents. And as these underlying stocks move within the fund, the ETF stock will move in conjunction along with it. Now, an ETF which deploys a strategy of simply following an index or a list of stocks is a relatively simple ETF. The more complicated ETFs are what's called active strategy ETFs, which will have the fund deploy a specific strategy. So let's say the strategy within a fund is to go long the S&P 500 and go short the NASDAQ 100, then whichever way that strategy will prove itself given where the S&P 500 and where the NASDAQ 100 will go, the ETF stock is also going to go ahead and reflect that performance and its stock price. Now you might ask, okay, so why do I need to go through this complicated mechanism of simply buying the stocks that I want to buy? Let's say I know all the technology stocks out there. Let's say I know what major technology sector I would like to be operating in and invest in, and I don't need an ETF issuer, right? Because the ETF issuer is not going to do this for free as well, 
they're going to take some money from the fund in what's called management fees, managing this list of ETFs, managing the weights within the funds. This requires work. These are huge companies which go ahead and have this be their primary business. So why do I need to get involved in an ETF in the first place? The answer to that question has to do with what's something that's called portfolio management. There are many skills and details to pay attention to when you're constructing and also when you're maintaining a portfolio. For example, let's say you have four stocks within a portfolio. And let's say one of those stocks outperforms the others dramatically. Now, if you recalculate the weight of that same stock within and compare it to all the other four stocks, then you will see that you're very much overweight that stock. Because as a stock price goes up or down, the total value of the portfolio now changes. And when you compare any stock compared to the entire portfolio, the percentages might change. So if you've created a stock portfolio, which consists of, let's say, 10 stocks, and each one is supposed to get an equal weight, each one gets 10% of the fund or 10% of the fund's total cash. This cannot be maintained with fluctuating stock prices. So maintaining the weights within a portfolio or what's called rebalancing, another fancy term that is simply means to rebalance your portfolio or to reassign the weights, either buying or selling more or less of each stock in order to guarantee or to maintain that weight allocation within a portfolio. That requires work, that requires research, that requires manpower and a whole lot of attention depending on how often you rebalance. Another reason why you would opt to buy an ETF is if you don't want to be bothered with the time to deploy a specific strategy. Let's say you wanted to deploy a strategy which is short the S&P 500. Essentially, what you would need to do to deploy such a strategy is to borrow the S&P 500, sell it off, receive the cash, and then buy it back later on. And hopefully, if it went down, you made some money because you sold it at a higher price and you bought it back at a lower price. And then, of course, returned back to the lender which you received it from. Not to mention servicing the interest which you owe that lender because you borrowed a stock from them. So the ETF issuer will do all of this work for you. They create a fund which deploys a specific strategy. And if you own stock in that portfolio which is deploying that same strategy, then you either make money or lose money depending on whether the strategy proved successful. Now that we understand why ETFs have value and why you would opt to buying an ETF rather than all the individual constituents within a fund, we can now discuss what parameters are important to pay attention to when deciding on which ETF to buy or sell. So the first thing is obviously understanding what the ETF is designed to do. It's extremely important not to get pulled into buying an ETF which simply sounds cool or has a attractive ticker symbol but really to understand what the ETF issuer is trying to do when they are constructing this portfolio and issuing stock on this portfolio. In other words, it's really important to have your intentions, your investing thesis in line with the objective of the ETF itself. So a very fancy term for a sheet of paper which goes ahead and explains what an ETF is designed to do in terms of its strategy or its deployment is called the prospectus. Every ETF you look up should have a prospectus. The prospectus basically outlines the ETF's objective, if it follows an index, if it deploys a specific strategy. Very, very important information to understand what the ETF is designed to do before actually buying into it. Another very important detail to pay attention to before buying an ETF is the liquidity. Because if you're buying an ETF, keep in mind, you're not buying the underlying stocks. You may own 
part of a fund which owns the underlying stocks, but you're not actually buying that stock, which means technically speaking, you're not necessarily buying shares in that company. You're buying shares in a portfolio which holds stocks of different companies. So this stock, this ETF is a standalone stock, sort of technically not related to the underlying stocks of the portfolio of which it holds. This is where liquidity comes in. Essentially, what guarantees that the price of the ETF will match the actual value of the portfolio? Meaning, let's say the portfolio, the underlying portfolio, is worth $1,000. And let's say there are 100 shares. So every share should be worth or should be trading for in and around $10. But we can definitely see an ETF of that same economics trade at $6. Why? Because it's an independent market. The supplier demand might not be there to buy that ETF. So it's important to track something called NAV or net asset value. What net asset value is, is essentially the price which the ETF should trade for. An ETF issuer is obliged to calculate NAV to basically go into the portfolio, understand how much the entire portfolio is worth if it were to be sold today, divided by the number of shares, and then come up with what's called an NAV share price. The NAV share price should not deviate much from the actual ETF's share price that you see traded on the general market. There are certain mechanisms which are put in place to make sure that the ETF price matches the portfolio's NAV. That's a little bit technical, so I'm not going to get into that right now, but if you'd like, you can private message me, we can deep dive into that topic and I can help you understand what mechanisms are put in place to make sure that does not happen. Another rather primitive way, but in my opinion, one of the most effective ways to test whether an ETF is giving you the expected performance is to do a simple backtest. Let's say, for example, you bought an ETF which deployed a strategy to be short the S&P 500. What you can do is you can check the daily return or the daily movement of the S&P 500 index and then also check how that corresponding short ETF is performing. If, for example, the S&P 500 went up by 1% that same day, and the ETF went down by 1% that same business day, then that ETF is doing a terrific job in giving you the performance that you're expecting in terms of the strategy of which it was designed to deploy. If you don't have much experience investing in ETFs, all of this may sound relatively complicated, but the fact of the matter is that ETFs are very very effective, strategic, and efficient way to invest in financial markets. But you have to be conscious of all the variables to pay attention to before you buy or sell any ETF. So do your due diligence, do your homework, and invest responsibly. Now for the second part of the episode, let's get into last week's federal rate interest rate decision. Let's try to understand what Jerome Powell tried to pass on to the markets it's very important what Jerome Powell says in any, every one of these interest rate decisions simply because that's going to formulate or construct the forward-looking expectations. And as you know, present value valuations are a function of the future. So let's get into it. So last week on the 14th of September, Jerome Powell announced that the Federal Open Market Committee or FOMC has decided to raise interest rates by 50 basis points. This is extremely significant and actually in line with the general market's consensus or expectations because it's the first interest rate decision 
which has broken the serial interest rate hikes of 75 basis points, something that hasn't been seen ever since Jerome Powell has announced serial 75 basis point increases. And the reason why that's significant is because Jerome Powell, a few meetings ago, has made it clear that the Federal Reserve will start to dampen the rate of increase of the interest rate increases, which means there will be future increases, but the rate of increase or the aggressiveness will most probably go down. And now we're beginning to see that. This was widely expected by the general market because we have begun to see CPI readings below expectation, something we haven't seen ever since inflation has started to take a ramp up. So this is an extremely significant time. Now, you might have thought that this is great news for stocks. And actually, initially, it was. Stocks began to go up. Bonds also started to go up. Everybody was happy. But Jerome Powell said something else which kind of worried markets a little bit. He reiterated that interest rates will most probably need to stay high for longer. Basically, this reiteration has shattered the market's expectation that interest rates will go up and then simply come back down in and around mid-2023. He said that interest rates will most probably need to stay high. Now, why is that important? That's important simply because of the interest rate mapping required to perform equity valuations or stock valuations, right? We discussed that in a previous episode, how you need to be able to map out the expected interest rates that will prevail in a future time frame of any time where you're expected to receive dividends or any cash flows from owning a stock. So it is extremely important how interest rates will prevail or what they will look like throughout 2023. So that's in terms of the valuation side. In terms of the corporate side, it's extremely worrying to have interest rates high for a long amount of time. This can crush demand like nobody has ever seen before. This will affect borrowing costs of companies and also affect demand from consumers for buying homes, automobiles, consumer discretionary items. Anything that requires funding or cash, essentially, will see a dramatic decrease in activity. This expectation of future reality has constructed the general consensus for a coming recession or more specifically to stocks, an earnings recession, which we will see a dramatic drawdown in earnings simply because of this persistently heightened interest rate environment of which we are going into. Keep in mind that Jerome Powell can also say whatever he wants, but the market will interpret whatever way they think Jerome Powell is actually going to do. Just because Jerome Powell says that the Federal Reserve is going to keep interest rates for higher doesn't mean that's necessarily going to happen. If you go back to many of his speeches, you'll see that the message he's delivered has not always played out. They are reacting to incoming data. So not everything that the Federal Reserve says they're going to necessarily do. And we will begin seeing, or at least we'll see up until their next FOMC meeting, how expectations of what the FOMC will actually do, how it will shape, how it will change, how it will morph. It's going to be a very interesting year coming ahead. So which strategies will benefit the most from an environment like this? Before I get into the actionable part of this episode, I just want to reiterate that I am not a professional. Please do not act based solely on what you hear on this podcast or any of these episodes. This is simply a podcast to help you understand the tools you have available to enhance your investing and to learn something new on each and every episode. So let's get into the actionable part of this episode. Let's get into trends that will most likely prove profitable in 2023. Given all the information we have today, and also given the fact that the general market is expecting some sort of earnings recession coming in 2023. Let's get into it. 
So in a previous episode, we've discussed how banks actually benefit from having a higher interest rate prevail for their business activity. The reason why is because banks can deposit money at the Federal Reserve and receive a risk-free rate. So the higher that interest rate is, the more profitable they can be. If that interest rate would not have been as high as they would like to, they can always lend it out. But then they have what's called credit risk, and they can go ahead and actually lose money because now their interest rate payments are contingent on some borrower paying them back. So as high as the risk-free rate can go, that's best case scenario for the banks. So that's one sector which I believe will benefit throughout 2023. Another one is the bond market. Now, the reason why I believe the bond market will benefit or appreciate highly in 2023 is twofold. Firstly, the same way that the bond market preceded the equity markets in going down in value in the beginning of the year in anticipation for higher interest rates is going to be the same in 2023, I believe. The bond market will detect the pivot of the Federal Reserve quicker than the equity market, as it always has, and go up in value as that time approaches. So throughout 2023, we should see appreciation of bonds simply because of the anticipation of a Federal Reserve interest rate pivot. That's one of the reasons. The second reason is because of the earnings recession. In an earnings recession, investors or money managers need to park their money somewhere. It's very painful to have money in cash if you're a money manager simply because you know what return you will get, and that's zero. So even if parking money in a specific bond and receiving only 2% or 3% annualized throughout a period of two, three years, that's better than holding a stock which will most probably go through an earnings recession. So if one or both of these scenarios unfold, which I believe have a high probability of happening, then bonds should go up. One example of an ETF which will benefit highly if bond market appreciation comes to fruition throughout 2023 is TMF. The strategy that TMF attempts to deploy is being long, long dated or long maturity bonds, which are very sensitive to interest rates. So essentially, if a Fed pivot would come in 2023, you would see long dated bonds go up in value much more than shorter dated bonds. In addition, TMF incorporates three times leverage. So if a long-dated bond goes up by 1%, this ETF will go up by 3%, and vice versa. If that bond goes, let's say, down by 2%, then the ETF will go down by 6%. There are many different types of ETFs which deploy similar but different strategies. For example, a different strategy can be going short a bond or going long a short dated bond or perhaps going short a short dated bond with no leverage. There's a bunch of combinations of different strategies you can deploy to go ahead and present your investment thesis on what you think is going to happen into the next year. But what is guaranteed is that ETFs can definitely help you get there. So if you were to simply Google bond ETFs, I believe the first or second result called ETFDB.com helps you organize and categorize specific ETFs according to their strategies. This website is very, very reliable. It presents usually the top known ETFs in a given sector or deploying a specific strategy. So that is an excellent resource to go ahead and understand more on an ETF that you're thinking of buying. So definitely check that out.
With that being said, guys, I want to give a huge, huge thanks to everybody who's listening. The main mission here is to spread free financial education and to make things simple so that everybody can be an investor and everybody can understand all the fancy terms and jargon going around in financial markets. Hope you've enjoyed. I hope you've learned something new today. See you all in the next time.